Alpha is an extraordinary journey that you can go on, but we're also on another journey, which is that we are now entering week two, as Pastor Kayla mentioned a moment ago, of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And just remember, last week we looked at fasting. And fasting is, it is giving up something that you love for someone that you love even more. In this case, obviously, I'm talking about Christ. But I encourage you, if you're not joined us yet, you can join us on a 14-day fast. Start today and join with us as we fast and pray. As we look at the events this week again in our world, we as a church need to be fasting and asking God to fix our firsts. We need him to freshly align our hearts. We need to be set apart from some things and set unto him afresh in this season. So I want to encourage everyone who is fasting, continue to fast and pray. And those of you who are not yet started, would you please prayerfully consider, we need you to join. We need you to set your heart apart and begin to pray and fast for God to move afresh in this season. So I'm inviting you again. May not be a 21-day fast for you, but it may be a 14-day fast. I encourage you to do that. As I just made mention of, today I want my words to be clear. I want them to not be confused or muddled in any which way, but to address even the events of this week. I want us to open up our hearts afresh to a topic that we need to see revival in, and it's the topic of holiness. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project says this, God's holiness is rooted in his unique identity as creator of the cosmos and the powerful source of all life and beauty and goodness. However, the power of God's holiness is also dangerous to us mortal creatures. And again, the Bible Project does an excellent job of summarizing holiness that you can watch a little bit later today. I want you to think about in the book of Exodus, if you're new to church in the Old Testament, there's a book called Exodus. And in the story of Exodus, there's this character by the name of Moses, this person by the name of Moses. And one day, he sees a shrub that is burning, but it's not being consumed. And he approaches it. And in approaching this shrub that is burning, yet not being consumed, God gives him, God is having this creative moment, this creative miracle here, and God gives Moses two instructions. The first instruction is this, take off your sandals because the place where you're standing is holy ground. And in here we see the heart of God because if you think about it, here's Moses and all that is separating him from the earth is his sandals. And so God wants to absolutely draw him close. The very thing that is separating him from God's holiness, God says to him, take those off as a posture of humility, but also as a place of removing separation, get as close as you can into God's presence. But then the second thing God says to him, which seems to be completely contrary to what I just said, is this, don't come any closer or you're going to die. In other words, there is what God's presence and who God is. It is so good. It is so intensely wonderful that you need to remain set apart, Moses, because you are not yet holy. You're not good. So he says, take off your shoes. In other words, Moses, do something to engage God's presence, but also stay where you are because of my goodness. You know, I want you to think about the sun in our solar system. It's good 
and it brings life to all on our earth. It brings flourishing to everything that we see. Yet if we get too close to the sun, it would kill us. Not because the sun is bad, but because it is so powerfully good. It is this example, not a perfect one by any stretch of the imagination, but it's an example that the Bible project articulates that it is not because God is bad that we can't approach him. It is that it is so good and there's impurity in us that needs to be dealt with. If you continue to read the Old Testament, you see that the children of Israel understood being impure in one of two ways. They understood purity and holiness or being impure as moral purity. I've sinned. I have, you know, iniquity. I have transgressed. I have stolen something. I have, you know, injured someone. There's an offense. That's all moral purity. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. But the children of Israel also had ritual purity. And so again, going through the scriptures, you can see, you can see the heart in the book of Leviticus, where there are all these Old Testament laws about how the children of Israel were to engage God rightfully and wrong, how they were to do it in a proper way or an improper manner. Or again, they were to engage things when they were pure or when they were impure. It didn't always mean that they were morally impure. They could just have been ritually impure. But there was a specific process to be made pure, to be made clean. And if you go through Leviticus, what you'll see over and over again, very similar to Moses, is Moses has to do something. He has to bend down and take off his sandals because the place he's standing is holy ground. He has to do something. If you go through Leviticus, there's many things that men and women to become morally pure or ritually pure, there's behavior that they had to begin to do or they had to engage in order to be pure again. You see it over and over and over. Now, again, for us who live under the covenant of Christ, the covenant of grace, this new, better covenant, we can sometimes look back at the Old Testament, in particular Leviticus, and go like, man, that is so weird, or why was God so punitive? And I don't want you to see it through that lens because I want you to see it through a different lens. I want you to imagine that you're in a relationship, but you have no idea how to please someone. For some of you, this is not going to be a hard stretch. You're in a relationship with someone and you have no idea, like you don't know how to buy them a gift. You have no idea how to touch their heart. You have no idea what like makes them happy or what makes them sad. And everything you do is wrong. Everything you do is wrong. And maybe in your life, you've heard a line like this. Well, if you really loved me, you would just know. But the problem is, is that you don't know. That's a little bit of what we see in the book of Leviticus. And we look back that when God begins to outline, this is what it is to be in relationship with me. I don't want you to look at through rules and legalism. I don't want you to look through, man, that is so weird. It is a God who is making himself known to know how he is to be loved, how he's to be worshipped, what's acceptable and what's unacceptable. Because again, if you go back into this time, you can see that not knowing what appeased God created lots of injustice in the world in which they lived. The Apostle Paul desires the church in Corinth to understand this. So he quotes Exodus and he quotes Leviticus in the New Testament to the church in Corinth. And here's what he says. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate. The direct translation there is to be holy, to be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing. Then I will come or then I will welcome you and I will be your father and you will be sons and daughters to me. So in a very real sense, yeah, holiness, as we begin to see it unpack in Scripture, holiness does require you and I looking at a God who is pure and holy and good. And every single one of us, every one of us without exception, have sinned and fallen and, and fall short. Every single one of us, therefore, are 
not holy. We are impure. And there's a bridge that needs to be broached. And so we begin to see in the Old Testament, God, in his grace and his mercy, begin to do things for us, yes, but also begin to say, this is what you need to do to separate yourself. This is what you need to do. But it's not the whole story. So here's, if I stopped at Moses and Leviticus, if we stopped just here, we would see that holiness rests only on us. Holiness is everything that we do. And we in the church have got the message sometimes that holiness can actually become legalism. It can become, here's all the things that you need to do to be holy. And you can do all of those things as we're going to see in a few moments and still be not enough. So sometimes it's not legalism. Holiness is not legalism. It's something entirely different. Holiness, though, does mean to be separate, to be set apart unto the Lord. One of the things that we in the church, as the church, have lost is any type, any type of fear of the Lord, I feel. In an effort to make God so approachable, have we made him so approachable that he's not also worthy of our worship? That we see no distinguishable difference between ourselves and God. In fact, we get up every day believing that God sees things the way we see things, believes the way that we believe, and is on our side. But when I look at the scripture, I see all the time, as high as the heavens are from the earth, so is God's ways from my ways, his thoughts from my thoughts. There is everywhere in the scripture, every single time we see it, when we think God is on the left or God is on the right, no, God is always on God's side. And every single one of us need them to figure out how do then we align to God's way, not God align to our way. Part of the mess of the world in which we are in today, whether it is left or whether it is right, is that we believe that God is on our side. And we as followers of Jesus know that, no, 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 it is God that is on his side, and it's us that are being transformed to look more like Jesus, not God looking more like us. And we see in the scriptures that holiness does mean that we need to be set apart unto the Lord. But if you continue to read the scriptures, again, past the story of Moses and past Leviticus, you begin to see something different in the book of Isaiah, and you begin to see something very different in the book of Ezekiel. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, Isaiah has this vision. He's a prophet, and he has a vision of God's holiness. And just like Moses He is so close to God's presence. And Isaiah knows, ah, I shouldn't be here because I'm not pure. I'm not holy. I'm not righteous like God. And I don't got sandals to take off, but I know I shouldn't be here. He knows he's too close to goodness and he himself is not good. And so he begins to worry that he's going to die. And in this vision, though, something happens. Instead, instead of God asking Isaiah to do something, There's this weird thing where God actually, or an angel takes a coal from God's presence and comes and touches Isaiah's lips. And that which was impure becomes pure by something that was just in the orbit of God's presence. So in other words, the story of Moses, we see, do something, take off your shoes. But now in this story, we see, no, 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 it's not what you can do, Isaiah. All of a sudden, now God begins to do for Isaiah what Isaiah can't do for himself. It says this in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 7. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt, your sin is taken away, and your sin, your iniquity, that which is bridging, that which is causing the distance between you and God. Here's what it says. It has been atoned for. 
not, again, not because of what Isaiah has done, but because of something in the orbit of God's presence. In this instance, a coal that simply touches his lips. He is touched by the goodness of God, and it sets him apart and atones for the impurity and iniquity of his own heart. So now we see a progressive story, not a story only in what do we do. Now we begin to see a story of what God does for us. And this story continues. In the book of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 47, there's a story where God's presence begins to flow like a river. And this river, though, as it begins to flow, does not destroy that which it touches. If you think of a river that begins to overflow its banks and pour out, usually we think about that as a flood which brings destruction. But in Ezekiel's vision, this river begins to flow. And instead of bringing destruction, it begins to bring life. Everything this river touches, it transforms. So very much like Isaiah. Now you see this this heart of God's holiness begins to emanate from where he is and everywhere and every place that this river touches, it doesn't bring death, it brings transformation, it brings life. Things are, are set apart, yes, there's holiness, but it is this beautiful way in which God begins to move. And as the Bible does, these two pictures, whether it's a coal in Isaiah or a river in Ezekiel, they come into sharp focus in the person of Jesus. Did you know, church, that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's coal? That he is the one who touches our hearts and transforms our hearts, makes us who are impure, pure. It is why John in the New Testament looks and says, behold the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world, who's going to atone for the sin of the world, who has come to transform us because we can't make ourselves holy enough through everything that we try to do Jesus is the fullness or the fulfillment of Ezekiel's streaming river. And everywhere he goes, you can see it if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. If you want to read a quick book, read the book of Mark. It's the shortest one. But everywhere Jesus goes, like a river, you know what follows him? Life. That which is dead comes alive. That which is sick is healed. The gospel is proclaimed. People experience freedom. People experience love. People experience acceptance. All of these things Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the hero of the story. He's the center of the story. And in this place, we see Jesus and everywhere he goes, there is nothing but life. My next statement is not a political statement. It is a heartbroken statement. And for me, watching the news in a country that is not our own, I couldn't reconcile. The scene unfolding where people were losing their lives so unnecessarily and signs being held up that said, Jesus saves. Lord, have we lost this holy fear of who you are? It reminded me of a boy when I was in school, and I'm not drawing a direct line here, though there are some correlations, and I know I'm going to get emails about what I'm going to say, but i got to say it anyways. It reminded me of a boy in school looking at history books. Seeing churches with a banner that said Jesus saved, but then everybody on the platform was wearing clan hoods. Sometimes the best way to see what's happening now is to look back and to say, God, what, 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 what's happened in history and how can we learn? And I'm not projecting myself apart. I know there are issues on the left and the right, but whatever we get fixed on, we get set apart too. 
And I am thankful that there are men and women who are prophetic, who are standing up in this day and season and repenting for things that they shared prophetically that were just not true. We, as the church, have to clean up our own house if we want to be a house transformed to touch a lost and broken world. We've got to clean our own hearts. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus' words, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. Did you hear what he said? Jesus said that you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I love how Leonard Ravenhill then goes and says this. Jesus said, begin at Jerusalem, because that's the hardest place, isn't it? Because Jerusalem represents your own church, your own home, your own life. It represents, it's easy to go change a world out there. It's easy to go change Samaria. It's easy to go change them. It's much harder to say, God, transform me and not make it selfish and small. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's easy to see the fault in them. It's very hard to see the sin in me, in us, in our church, in our movement, in our denomination, in our way of thinking, the way things should be. In Jesus, as I said a moment ago, we see the lame walk. We see the demon-possessed set free. We see healing. We see signs. We see wonders. All that which is dead, we see Jesus as he begins to walk. He begins to transform. But you know what else we see in the life of Jesus? We also see the proud become more proud. The same sun that melts wax is the same sun that hardens clay. The issue isn't with the sun. The issue is with the substance that it touches. Is your heart wax? Is it moldable? Clay is equally moldable. But is it becoming baked in cynicism? Is it becoming baked in criticism? Is it becoming baked in everything in the world is their fault? Is it becoming baked in self-righteousness? Oh, Lord, speak to our hearts. Speak to my heart. Speak to Life Center's heart. Speak to our hearts, oh, God. You know, I was reflecting this week on the various movements that are so powerful. One movement I reflected on was the Me Too movement. You know, when I look at the life of Jesus, man, look at how Jesus treated women. Not as objects, but as objects of love. Not for his own pleasure or purpose, but to elevate theirs, to restore everything that culture and all those things had taken away. We hear often quoted, and I see written often, we want the fruit of Jesus. We just don't want to live the way Jesus lived. We like what Jesus quoted, and we see it often. 
You know, I'm personally going through a study right now in the book of Psalms where I'm looking at justice. But everywhere you often, not everywhere exclusively, but I would say like 98% of the time you see the word justice, you know what else you see? Is the word righteousness. Because without righteousness, there is no justice. And here's the problem with my righteousness. My righteousness is only what's right in my eyes. I don't need, you don't need my righteousness and I don't just need your righteousness. We need the way the Father sees things because he alone sees them right. I see them in part. He sees the whole story. And I think about the Me Too movement just for a moment. I think about it and I think, man, oh man, if every single man could treat women the way Jesus treated women, it is the solution I know it could be more complex, but it is the solution to the very inequality in heart that we see. And oftentimes, as followers in Jesus, we look, well, what did Jesus say and what did Jesus do? And those are very important things to look at. How did Jesus treat women? What did he say to the woman at the well? What did he say to the woman thrown at his feet? What did he say to his mother? All these things. Every woman in Jesus, it's very important to look at what did he say and what did he do? But here's what is also true. It is the nature and the character of Jesus that mattered more than what he said and what he did. Those things were totally congruent. What he said and what he did flowed out of who he was, and who he was was sinless. Who he was was holy. And so you and I, in our world today, this is part of the challenges we want to solve on injustice, and that's a good thing. We want to solve things that are broken, but you and I in and of ourselves are broken, and we are not holy. We want to be able to talk about justice over here and watch on the internet whatever I want over here as though this type of injustice doesn't touch this type of injustice. This is not a message of shame. This is a message of, Lord, would you rise conviction to touch our hearts? Lord, we need to move afresh where we are humbled because we are so arrogant. We are so filled with our own self-righteousness and pride that we cannot see where we too need to be changed and transformed. Holiness is not merely the absence of sin. It is us being transformed to live more like Jesus. You know, there's there's a reason God's name is Holy Spirit, not just Love Spirit. Holy, from God's holiness flows his love. And from his holiness flows truth. From his holiness flows miracles. From his holiness flows also conviction. Not because he doesn't love us, but because he does. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. By every defilement, not some, not the left, not the right, not the right, not the left. Every defilement of the body and spirit and bring holiness to completion. In this fear of the Lord, the Apostle Paul says. He says in in the church in Ephesus and Ephesians, For you may be sure of this, that everyone, okay, that's all of us, who are sexually immoral and impure, who are covetous, that is an idolater, that's all of us. Every single one of us have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. In other words, we're, we're bankrupt to make ourselves holy. Yeah, there are things that we can do, but they're not enough to bridge the gap. We needed Jesus to do something, the very thing that we couldn't do for ourselves. 
Nothing unclean, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 21, 27. Then Revelation 22, verse 4. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Final story for us today. As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? (laughs) That is a question. No one is good except God alone. What is Jesus asking him there? Here's the question. Who do you see me as? Just a teacher? Just a prophet? Or do you see me for who I am? Do you see me as God? You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And these are all the things that the rich young ruler has and hasn't done. He hasn't murdered anybody. He hasn't committed adultery. He hasn't stolen. He hasn't borne false witness, defrauded, all these things. Honor your father and mother, all these things. There's much more we can talk about. We don't have time. But holiness is not merely what we do or don't do. Holiness is allowing Jesus to touch our lips and touch our heart. And because Jesus is the creator of the universe, he knows what to touch in my heart and in yours, in the church's heart. Story goes on to say, he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Here's what it says. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. The motivation of Jesus is always love. And he said to him, you lack one thing. I'm telling you, I wish I could hear Jesus say to me, I only lack one thing. You lack one thing. Now watch the coal coming and touching his lips or trying to. Watch the river trying to flow to the rich young ruler. He said, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then he said this, come, follow me. The same invitation he gave to Peter, the same invitation he gave to John, he gives to this rich, young ruler. There's just one thing, there's one thing that you need to be set apart from, is your stuff. I'm inviting you to a story that is grander than you can imagine. Come follow me. Now, I'm not saying he would have been one of the 12, but he would have been in the orbit of Jesus, following him, living into the way of Jesus, learning the way of Jesus. And the scripture goes on to say, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. When Jesus begins to move, some hearts melt and some hearts get really hard. When Jesus begins to move, when Jesus takes a coal and wants to touch our lips, when the river begins to flow, it's not just going to bring life where we want it to bring life. It's going to touch things in our lives that the God of the universe says, that's dead. And I want you to, I want to bring it to life. But sometimes we hold on to dead things because they're our most precious things. Some of us are holding on to dead arguments and dead offenses and dead things that happened in the past and they are giving us life. They're not giving us life. We think that they are making us strong and they're making us sick. And the river of life is flowing and the person of Jesus wants to set us apart from those things. 
I think great questions you need to ask and the rich young ruler needed to ask here is, is this a good teacher or is this the God of the universe? And we can see in the story that the rich young ruler said it's just a good teacher. And so he views that Jesus then maybe is just trying to be cruel, trying to take things away, trying to separate him from his stuff. But that's not what the look of love does. Jesus is trying to separate the rich young ruler from an identity that was never meant to contain all that God had called him to do. Who do you define? Who do we trust, I should say, to define our lives, our stories? Do we trust ourselves? Do we trust political spectrums? Or do we trust the creator of the universe? who speaks truth to our hearts, sometimes convicts and calls us to change. Ah, I would have loved, I would have loved to have seen this story that Jesus might have written if only this rich young ruler would have trusted Jesus enough to be set apart from his stuff. I would have loved to have read that story would have loved to have known like what, what, what could have happened because I get glimpses of it when Jesus touches the heart of someone who wasn't you know, young and rich and a ruler but when he touches the heart of a tax collector like Zacchaeus where there was injustice economically now you begin to see justice begin to flow what story could have been written for people if this individual would have just said Lord move on my heart afresh set me apart from my stuff make me holy let me, let me embrace how you see me, not just how I see things. Let me embrace your righteousness, not cling on to my own. Today for you, Jesus may speak a word of healing because he's looking at you and he loves you and he's trying to set you apart from something in your past. Not that he's ignoring it, but he wants to heal it. Jesus may speak a word that now it's time to let something go to set you apart from an unhealthy identity, one that isn't rooted in who you are in Christ. It may be who you are in work. It may be who you are in your gender. It may be who you are in A, B, or C, but it isn't who you are in Christ. And so, yes, it may be able to sustain what this world puts on you, but it is not, not strong enough to, to sustain the battle in which we live with powers and principalities and rulers that are assaulted against our hearts and lives. Holiness isn't legalism. Holiness isn't a set of rules that a cruel God arbitrarily imposes to keep you from life. Holiness is letting Jesus set us apart from sin because all sin brings, even if it brings pleasure for a season, ultimately it only brings death. Holiness is allowing Jesus to separate us from those things to call us into the adventure of a lifetime. Here's the order we see in scripture when it comes to holiness. Holiness is not something I do to be good enough. It's not how many sandals I can untie. It's not how many Levitical laws I can keep. Those things were important. But as we see, holiness in the person of Jesus is allowing him to touch our lips 
holiness is allowing the person of Jesus to transform our hearts. Then, when Jesus transforms our hearts, church, then out of love and affection, then it begins to show up in our behavior where I begin to say no to this. I begin to treat people differently. And when I don't, I don't just repent because I feel bad. I repent because I've offended a holy God. I've not only created injustice down here, but I'm also living into the inferior story that Jesus is trying to set me apart from because my life isn't just supposed to be sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess. Yes, it needs to have where there is sin, confession, but also freedom and calling to live into the life that Jesus has called us to be. So where do you start today? Where do we discover our next step? Thomas Kelly says this, and this I end. Begin where you are. Obey now. Use what little obedience you are capable of, even if it's like the grain of a mustard seed. Begin where you are. Live this present moment, this present hour, as you now sit at home in utter submission and openness towards him. Church, we need a move of God. We need him to separate us from a whole lot of stuff. The solutions that we desire can no longer be divorced from holiness. We can't live however we want and just add Jesus on top of it. That's not holiness. Nor can we beat everybody over the head with rules. That's not holiness either. We need a fresh move of the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. You know, right now we're meeting online only. But there will come a day in the season ahead where we begin to meet in person. Yet for some of you, you're still gonna be online. And so just before we pray, I want us to do two things as we pray. I wanna invite Nathaniel Jones to come up. Nathaniel is on our team. He's on our staff team. He joined our team just before pandemic began as a technical director. Uh, but he's been to Bible school. He's done all of his four years. And so he is going to transition within Life Center to an assistant pastor role. And part of his role is to minister to the 70% of our church that is online. We are so thankful for Nat and for Michael and for Diane and for Max and all of our amazing hosts who are online doing an extraordinary job. But we know in this season ahead, we also want pastoral presence online. Uh, and so we want to take a moment and just not only honor Nathaniel, but pray for him as he is set apart for this new position at Life Center. Um, and then we also want to take a moment and pray for our hearts. And so we pray for Nathaniel, and then together let's pray for the church. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Nathaniel. We thank you for the gifts, the talents, the calling, and the ability. Lord, we thank you that as a minister of the gospel, that he is anointed for such a time as this, that he is called and set apart for such a time as this, and so, Father, would you use his mind? Would you use his heart? Would you use his character? Father, I thank you that you would continue to raise him up as a minister of the gospel, and we welcome his ministry, not just now the technical director part, but that we open our hearts to his ministry, to his shepherding, to the pastoral giftings of his life, or the spiritual gifts that you've given him to be made manifest in a fresh new way, in an increased way at Life Center. 
Father, we bless him and we pray as he steps into this new role, that he steps into it with full confidence in who he is in you and who he is in you from that place. May he flourish. And then, Father, together we pray, Holy Spirit, make us more like Jesus. Convict us where we need conviction. Humble us where we need humility. Correct us where we need correction. Father, bring us low so that you can raise us up. Father, I pray. We pray for our lost and broken world. Father, we pray for the arrogance at which sometimes we judge, we speak, we, and we do what we do. Father, would you baptize your church? Would you baptize Life Center afresh in holiness? Because without holiness, God, we're not gonna see you. So Jesus, touch our lips and touch our hearts. Touch our behaviors. Father, we're not gonna try to work for holiness, but we wanna move from holiness. We want you to set our hearts. Father, may our hearts be like wax that melt in the presence of the Lord. Like the rich young ruler, may they not be like clay that got hard and hard and harder. Lord, may we be soft and pliable. May we break our hearts with that which breaks yours. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If I said anything today that, you know, just didn't say it the right way, forgive me, have grace. Um, But church, the stakes are high in this season. They're high. And we need humility. So before all the emails come in, I just ask you to do one thing. You just take some time in this season to pray and ask God to show you your own heart. Maybe I didn't say it the right way, but ask God to show you his heart. First, be changed here before you try to change everything else out there. May God bless you though, and may he keep you. Church, better days are ahead. I believe part of this is a move of God is not the injustice stuff and not the the, the ugly stuff, but we are in a season of revealing. Things that are hidden are showing up. So Lord, he's not turning things this over upside down. No, no, he's turning them right side up. Light is being exposed into dark places. And so God, we welcome your light, even if in what it shines is ugly. Because Lord, you make ugly things beautiful. May this week, even if he shines his light into your heart, into your marriage, into your singleness, into your family, into your relationships, into your worldview, even if it shows up ugly. Don't try to make yourself holy. Let him touch and transform. And from there, then let your behavior follow. May Jesus bless you and may he keep you. Thanks for letting us go a little longer today. Have an awesome Sunday.